Welcome to Women in Leadership Talk, where you'll hear from successful women who are empowering other women with their stories of adversity, resiliency, and success. And here is your host, Vicki Bradley, founder and CEO of Women in Leadership Empowered. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women in Leadership Talk podcast. So I have to admit, we have a wonderful guest joining us today, Dr. Rebecca Wanick, and she and I have been chatting just before we started this, and so... (laughs) Look out. It's going to be a lively conversation. So hopefully you're ready for that. And let me take a moment just to thank you. I know you're joining us from 48 different countries around the world. And we're super grateful that, you know, you're finding Women in Leadership Talk, an important podcast for you to listen to. So thanks for being here. Dr. Rebecca, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation too. Awesome. Me too. Me too. So let me give our audience just a little bit of background on you so they know why we're going to have this interesting conversation. So Dr. Lanick is a mindset psychologist and personal development coach. She works with entrepreneurs and individuals to help them overcome challenges and reach their goals. She's a gifted public speaker and university lecturer. She is an expert in social psychology, and her work has appeared in academic journals and publications around the world. She's particularly interested in how people's mindsets can influence their outcomes and is a firm believer that resilience is a neglected skill, which should be more widely taught. Couldn't agree more on that. And we've, oh, yeah. yes, that's a whole nother piece we got to get into. Um, she has earned her, her BS in psychology Uh, with University Honors from the University of Illinois and her PhD in psychology from the University of California, San Diego, with an emphasis in applied social psychology. Uh, Her PhD, she studied the role of power in relationship health and the influence of mindset on social comparison outcomes. I could go on and on. Like there's so many things that this amazing woman has done. Um, you know, she she focuses on teaching about psychology and gender. And so today we're really going to get into some conversations around what's happening in our world right now with regards to diversity, equity and inclusion. And so, you know, maybe before we even get to that part, Rebecca, let's give us, a you know, some insight as to what what prompted you to study social psychology and the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I, early on, I think I was in high school, I took my first psychology class and it was just like opened up my mind to all of these different ways that you could think about how situations impact people's experience. And then also obviously the way that you as an individual consume and interpret information Mm -hmm. influences how you respond and ultimately what you end up getting out of life. And so then when I went to university, I majored in psychology, but I took a bunch of classes in comparative literature, and I loved the way that older fiction in particular was really influenced by sort of the ideology and the mindset of the time Mm -hmm. and how you could see the way that the characters were described as interpreting things around them were influenced by that current social experience that was just pervading the author without them even knowing about it. So I just really, I really just started thinking about how much of an influence the world around us has. And then when I went into graduate school, 
um, I was really just thinking about what are some of the things that I care a lot about. And I care a lot about relationships because I think that a lot of people don't get functional uh, messages about how to be usefully in relationships when they're navigating them, particularly romantic relationships, mm. but also friendships and work relationships as they grow old. So I wanted to look into that. And then um, at the time when I was in graduate school, I had a lot of self-doubt. I was really self-conscious about myself and my appearance. And so the social comparison theory is an idea that how we feel about ourselves is influenced by who's in our environment. And given that we sometimes don't have a lot of control over who we're being exposed to, so the media, for example, selects who the comparison targets are, um, it, was there something that we could do to sort of counteract some of those negative effects? And what I hit upon in doing some background research was several different theories about the role of mindset in affecting the way that we respond to those comparisons. And so then I spent some time doing some studies related to researching that. Wow. I love it. I love all that. <laughs> I, we could talk hours about all the ways that, you know, our environment actually impacts the way and influences the way that we think, the way that we act. Um, and also that we have the power to change that, <laughs> which is super, super important. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and they said, oh, this is just the way that I am and I'm too old to change. And I, I just kind of giggled and I said, well, that's a choice, actually, <laughs> because you can change. Right. And we know that your brains have the ability um, to continue to grow and learn and change. But for today's purposes, um, I do want to talk about mindset, but before we even go there, I really want to get into this topic um, of your thoughts around diversity uh, training. <laughs> and just before we came on the show, we were talking about how a lot of companies are walking away from their uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, or they're using that as a, we're building it into just normal practice. And so I know you have a philosophy that maybe we're actually doing more harm. So let's talk about that. So why why do you think um, or why do you believe that it's doing more harm to have these DEI training initiatives? Yeah, great question. So I think a, a large part of the companies starting to change their perspective is the result of just witnessing the utter toxicity of the ideology mm -hmm. in the congressional testimony from the university presidents. That demonstrated flat out that it is an ideology that is Ill illiberal. It doesn't allow you to utilize critical thinking skills. It's a, it's a perspective that says this group is now a priority over that group, and that's the way that we're going to operate. So I have a lot to say about um, psychology as a field in general, because I like it, what I oftentimes uh, argue against is that there are so many things that on face seem like they're very nice, they're kind, they're supportive of individuals. But if you scratch the surface, you see that it's doing the exact opposite. And DEI training is exactly that. So on face, of course, it's nice to be oriented towards wanting people in the workplace to feel included, to have their differences supported, to have people have opportunities to be successful irrespective of who they are. But in practice, that's not how DEI operates. It does the exact opposite. So I call it a hypocritical grift. There mm. are people that use DEI because they want power. They want to shift the power dynamic from what it was before to giving them power at the expense of other people. It's also anti-meritocratic because if I'm promoting people based off of identity and not what they've done, not their skills, not their abilities, 
then merit goes away. And we see a lot of this idea that it, when there's a disparity that exists, it exists because of racism or sexism. So it ignores individual difference. People are differentially abled. It's a matter of reality, and we need to accept that. People also are different in terms of their interests. So some people want to work hard, and those people that want to work hard that are being more productive should get more in a work environment because they're contributing more. But but equity as an idea is basically, it, do, it doesn't really matter. If I say that I need it, you should give it to me. So it's harmful from an organizational perspective because, and I tell this to my students too, I said, I'm here, I'm happy to help you, but keep in mind that when you ask me for help, you're taking my resources for you. So we should always be cognizant of the fact that in every shared situation, you have an obligation, some amount of obligation, we could argue about how much it is, to adjust self to situation because it's not all about you. So the other problem with DEI training is that it seeks to individualize people. This idea of intersectionality where each person's unique set of separate identities needs to be prioritized and celebrated, it's untenable. At some point, you're going to run into two people who have a different perspective on what should be done, on what should be celebrated. Mm -hmm. And DEI gives you no way to sort that out other than this racist perspective that races that historically have been underprivileged are now on top. So whatever that particular person says should win. So it creates a lot of interpersonal conflict that doesn't need to be there. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And and then when we were talking earlier, it's like we've swung the pendulum from here to here, which, you know, if we look at history, that has been the case, but it's like, how do we, how do we find a better uh, better harmony when it comes to this, because I think you're right. Like it, it does harm uh, in a lot of ways because people might get promoted and not have the actual skill set or knowledge bank that is required just as a, from a corporate perspective. Um, and then what is that ripple effect that takes place? Right. And then we also know that people get promoted uh, because of who they know and because, you know, they're liked or it's their buddy or whatever. And so it's like, how do we find, how do we find that balance or or what would we rather see, I guess, is the question I want to ask. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I'll i get to that, but I just wanted to address something uh, that you brought up as well, which so the, the, the other problem with promoting people because of identity is it could be the case that the person who seems to be the diversity hire actually is the best candidate for the job. Yes. That absolutely can be the case. The problem is that when that person gets the job, everyone around them doesn't know, did they get the job because they earned it or did they get, yes. they get the job because they meet these this set of identity characteristics? So we talk a lot about this idea of imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. And increasing workplace tension because people are, you know, even nepotism can create workplace tension. It, the, the same idea applies. As a competent woman, I want to be viewed as competent in whatever positions I'm in. The DEI agenda makes it so that when people look at me, they see woman first, not competence. Yes. And as a consequence of that, I might then actually be doubted by the people around me because they have been given license to view me in, being in that position as a function of my identity and not my merit. So it's it's damaging also to the people that actually, you know, like on face benefit from it. Um but with respect to like, how do we find balance? So I think, unfortunately, what, what we're seeing now is people are really incapable of exercising self-control and having balance. I mean, you see it in politics all the time, too. It's just like one extreme versus the other, because that's what gets play in social media. That's what's going to get mm, attention. Good and point. Power. <laughs> 
people are constantly, they want that instant gratification of, you know, like the immediate um, attention. But, but realistically, part of the problem is that you have people now fighting against a situation that existed 10 or 20 years ago. So mm -hmm. we have had preference programs in place for women and minorities for over 30 years. So, so when people sit there and say like women aren't getting hired because people are biased against them, that's it's not true. There may be you know some specific instances where that happens. I'm not saying it ne it never happens anymore, but by and large, the situation that most people are fighting against is a situation that existed in the 80s. Yeah. So, so and I and I can I know you shouldn't argue from personal experience, but it's just like like looking being in academia for as long as I have been. I remember when I first started, particularly in graduate school, in in a class, I would say something and literally the next thing that would be said with this exact same thing from a male student and the professor would like poo poo what I said, but be, you know, like, oh, John, what a what a great comment. I mean, witness this all the time. I'm sure there's lots of other women that have had these. Oh, 100 percent. <laughs> all of my clients, all of my clients say. <laughs> and it's and it's really frustrating. And I'm not saying that that never happens now. But the likelihood of that happening now is so slim because especially in like an educational environment, the perspective is like we need to promote women and women's voices need to be heard. And we do all of these things to actually elevate women's voices. There are women in leadership conferences. There's no men in leadership conference be because that doesn't exist because the idea is we we didn't need to promote their voices because they were already there. But now there's this over promotion of the reverse side of things and a lack of recognition that and this is what what bothers me the most about the diversity perspective the diversity perspective should be everybody has value but the diversity perspective is not that it is certain voices that historically were underprivileged have value and mm. the privileged voices of the past no longer have value that's not about actually celebrating diversity or equity or inclusion so again that's why i say it's hypocritical because yeah. they're using these terms incorrectly as a grift to gain power for certain subsets within society yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like so many things you said there, like, you know, I want to, I want to take just a moment and, and dig into, because even when you were talking about, you know, this female is promoted and then conscious or unconscious that everybody's thinking, oh, did she get that job because she is a female or is it because of her competency? Right. And, and there are so many amazing, highly competent, <laughs> very skilled women and men. Um, and, and so to your point, is it doing harm? Because we're putting in question marks in people's minds um, unconsciously, right? And, and you know, to your point, there may be a segment that is uh, going after that in a conscious way because they want power. Um, I think one of the things that you, you talked about was this hypocritical grift, right? Like, like there is a um, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? <laughs> why is this happening and who does it benefit? And I think as a normal practice, we should be doing that no matter what, no matter what the agenda is, whether it's DEI, whether it's electric vehicles, whether whatever, like we should be asking those questions about who who benefits from this and, and what is the real purpose um, so I, I wanted to emphasize what you just said there, because I see that often and you hear the water cooler talk about, oh, so how did that person get in that role? And, you know, back in the 90s, I was the lone female in a lot of boardrooms and 
you know, very strong personality and, and no one ever questioned, I don't think why I was in there. Right. Because I had that, I had that strength and I made sure that my, my capabilities were demonstrated on a consistent basis. But the other piece to that, Rebecca is, and I'd love your thought is when women get into these positions, we have to work that much harder. And it's like, we're constantly having to prove ourselves because that question mark is there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and I I don't ever mean to be saying that there there aren't specific challenges that many women face, but I think the the focus on, you know, that women are being prevented from having access to leadership positions is is bad. Yeah. I think, you know, do do women sometimes have to work harder? Maybe. But what I always say to to that is like, who cares? Because if you if you have to work harder, you get to be better because of it. Yeah. And and what we're starting to really see more of, which in in many ways is kind of like counter to this perspective that women are, are disadvantaged, is a lot of this like mental health stuff is coming into the workplace and like everybody needs to be cared for. And, and, and those, those are the types of things that, you know, on average, I'm not saying men and women can't, don't overlap on this, but like on average, men in leadership positions care less about like feelings and emotion. They care, they care more about, it's a, it's a different type of leadership style. Like let's get shit done. Part of my friend. Um, But it's very transactional. No question. In some ways though, that is necessary. And so, so the idea is that we, if we could find, like we were talking about earlier, if we could find a balance between creating an environment that's not just about going in and getting everything done, but making sure that people are in a position to maximally get things done because they feel supported, yeah. they feel like they ha- they have space to potentially, you know, like explore, make mistakes, all of those things that are going to allow for innovation and productivity to thrive in the workplace. That's the balance we should be seeking towards. Mm-hmm. And I think constantly telling women now that they have to work twice as hard, we, you know, we, we said we were going to get to mindset that creates a damaging mindset because that yeah. creates a mindset of a victim that creates a mindset of oppression that saps motivation. I, I tell people all the time, like you should be oriented to looking for every opportunity that's hard take the hardest path all the time because because then you develop this strategy this mindset that says every time i do something that's challenging and hard i get better i don't care about what everybody else is doing if this person has to do less to get to the same position because guess what life is not fair life will never be fair if i'm looking for life to be fair i'm always going to be at a disadvantage because i'm wasting mental effort emotional effort trying to make life fair it's it's not fair you know how we we address that issue we as women go into whatever space we're in we do our best to be successful we don't ask people to give us license because we're women if we have to work harder we work harder and we get to the place where our actual competence can then be valued well and you know that's that's sort of my segue into optimizing the mindset because a lot of people that I coach, it is around, you know, I feel like I have to be there. I have to be more visible. I have to, you know, do all these things because I am a woman. And oftentimes that is mindset, right? Um, I was sharing with you the last live event I did. I had a 50-50 turnout of men and women and the men are leaning in and they're like, how do we be better (laughs) with, you know, whether it be support, Balancing from you know highly transactional to understanding the needs of the people, but also the needs of the consumers that we're that we're actually servicing. So, what is an 
optimized mindset and why is that so important? Yeah, so mindset to me is is one of the most important things that you can work to cultivate to help yourself be successful because the your mindset is the way that you interpret, respond to, and then engage with the world around you. So it applies to the way that you're processing the external events, but also internal events. And so I'm I'm all about regular self-reflection. Like first and foremost, whenever you're in a situation and you have a reaction, a winning mindset is you own it and you reflect on it. So mm -hmm. if if I'm upset, if I feel put upon, if I, you know, am angry, if I feel insecure, I don't immediately look for situational reasons that contributed to that. I look inward. Why am I having this reaction? And I own that reaction. That's a winning mindset because one, it gives you back control. You are the source, not everything else that's going around you. And the thing that you ultimately only have control over is you and what you do. So if you're constantly looking to blame other people, the environment, bad luck on whatever is happening to you, you're going to position yourself to be disempowered. Yeah. So so the the biggest part of a winning mindset is taking ownership of everything that is related to your experience. It doesn't mean obviously that you ignore things that are going on around you, but the idea is it st it starts and ends with you. That's yeah. that's yeah. where you begin to win. Yeah. And then I also mentioned, um, you know, for me, like another key piece of a winning mindset is you understand that nothing of value comes without effort. Because if you are not oriented to put in effort to get the things that you want, you will not get them. If if things in life that were valuable were easy, everyone would have them. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> no so, kidding. <laughs> so it, it, right? So it's just like, and and to me, it's like once you accept that reality that everything of value requires effort, then you're going to be motivated to put in the effort. Yeah. And this is not to say that you will always get what you're working towards, right? Because life doesn't always work out according to our plans. But the idea is whatever situation you're thrown into, if you have that mindset, you know there's something that you could do to get yourself closer to the goal. Yeah. And that's huge because, again, that puts the control back with you. Yeah, that self-empowerment is so important and understanding what potentially is triggering you in a situation um, and, and stopping the blame game. And, and we see this a lot, especially in our world today and the younger generations coming up. It's, you know, everybody else's fault instead of taking a step back and saying, what role am I playing in this particular situation? And what role would I rather play? <laughs> right. You know, cause you have a choice. You can be in control of it or, or you can let it control you. Um, and I love what you said there about nothing has value or nothing of value comes without effort. Like that is so important. And, and to your point, whether you, whether you attain what it is you wanted or not, it's what did you learn along the way? <laughs> right. And, and you, are in this position of, okay, that didn't work or that did work. And so do I want to do more of or less of whatever that might be? And I think that's a, that's an important uh, reminder to our audience that, you know, it's not always about attaining what is at the end. It's about right. the journey you're on to get there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I use the analogy of exercise all the time. Um, because it, to me, it's like, it, it's a very concrete, simple example that everybody can understand. Mm. If I care about being fit and healthy, I have to do the work. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, like yeah. no amount of me buying expensive workout clothes, hiring personal trainers, reading books about exercise is going to get me. I have to put in the work. And it's not going to be a one-time thing. I work out once and magically I'm fit. Oh, yeah. If you want to be physically <laughs> fit, you're going to have to be putting in work consistently over time and it never ends, right? Because the minute you stop doing it, your fitness starts to go down. And so I like to me, that's what self-optimization is all about is understanding that in every single domain. So I work a lot with people who have problems with their relationships. And a large part of what I see is people just stop putting in effort. Yeah. And, and because there, there's this like false belief out there, people will say like, well, a relationship shouldn't be effort. It absolutely <laughs> should be. At every, like every point you should be thinking about like, one, am I being the best version of myself for my partner? And if I'm not, what can I do to improve it? Are we as a partnership, you know, doing the things that are supportive and helpful for the two of us? If not, how do we fix it? And again, that requires regularly checking in, having conversation. It's hard. Anything of value is going to require you to put in some amount of effort period. And yeah. like you were saying earlier, it's a choice. It, you can make the choice to not put in effort, but you need to know that the consequence of that is going to be significantly sure. less fulfilling life experiences for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, you know, a lot of the work that I do, and, and it's so funny you use that, that example of exercise, because a lot of the work that I do about being a conscious leader we, we talk, talk about that, right? You can't go to the gym and lift weights one time and have these great biceps. Right. You have to consistently do that and you're creating muscle memory, right? And it's the same thing when you're um, working on your mindset or when you're you're shifting things in your life that whether you're like high stress, reactionary, and you're wanting to be more responsive and thoughtful, like this all takes effort to your point. And it's good effort <laughs> because right. the payoff is wonderful, right? Because you learn about yourself and it's when you were just saying that at the end there, I was thinking of like, you put the mirror up and it's like doing a reflection of, okay, what am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's not working? And how do I want to shift that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we get a lot of like really, um, again, I call them disempowering messages about mm. like celebrating your mediocrity. My message is not that like, if you're not doing everything that you could be to like work towards some goal or improvement that you're, you're terrible and you're worthless. My, my point is simply like, don't celebrate your mediocrity because what that does is that keeps you where you are. You yeah. celebrate the effort that you're putting in. And, you know, like I tell people all the time, like I, I have days where I literally am a waste of space. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stream Netflix and like not get anything done. But but I give myself license to do that because I know I'm not going to get stuck in that trap. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like if, if you don't engage in a lot of self-reflection, if you if you are not aware of what's going on with you, then you'll spend five days streaming Netflix and not getting anything done instead of, you know, like the one day, which I can afford to do because every other day, you know, like I'm, I'm getting a lot of other performance. Stuff, right. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, um, you know, I, I think that, that we've taken this message of self-care, it's way too extreme. Like we were talking about, you know, kind of like the pendulum shifting too mm -hmm. far. It has absolutely shifted too far. It's, it's all about like, I need to feel good and supported and celebrated in every little thing that I do. I saw this like thing on LinkedIn the other day and somebody was like, whatever you gave today was your hundred percent. And I thought to myself, like, fuck that. Because it's like, like if, if I'm going to sit there and say like, whatever I did was my hundred percent, then, then I'm selling myself short because there are some days that everybody can admit you didn't give your hundred percent. Does it mean you have to give a hundred percent every day? Sometimes you can't, sometimes you're tired, you're worn out, whatever you need a break. 
But don't don't sit there and claim that the day that you didn't do anything was your 100% because that's that's denial and that's reinforcing a message for you that's not going to help you to get the things that you ultimately want. Yeah. Wow. Very powerful. So what would be maybe one thing that you really want to make sure the audience takes away today? Because, you know, we've covered a lot, like, you know, even talking about how we view um, the ideology of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and, you know, what harm it potentially is creating, and how do we find the harmony? Um, we've talked about mindset and the importance of that, but what else would you really like to ask of our audience or share with them that, you know, could, could make a big difference just starting it today? <laughs> Well, I think, you know, I mentioned self-reflection before to me, like that, that is so important. I think that people need to challenge themselves to think about whether the messages that they're paying attention to and Mm -hmm. that they're using to sort of guide the choices that they're making are empowering them or disempowering them. Mm -hmm. And really think about when I have this thought, when I hear this message, what is the consequence for me? What does it make me do? Does it make me feel good in the moment? Or is it pushing me to engage in behaviors that are going to ultimately get me to work for things that are more important in the long term? Mm-hmm. And I apologize for like, but you just reminded me of something that because I just wrote my blog about this yesterday was this this whole idea of doom spending. And to me, this this is a classic example of like the load of, you know, like, shit that we're being sold is like they're like young people are feeling like the world today is is such it's it's set up it's so poor for them they're Mm -hmm. never going to be able to buy how like just all of this stuff that it's it's not it's not true there is literally no better time to be alive if you look across the course of history and the future will always be uncertain this is a fact of life it is the future. It is unknown. It will always be uncertain. Do you know what you do to deal with uncertainty? You don't sit there and say like, well, I might not be able to buy a house in 10 years from saving things. So instead of saving it all, I'm going to blow it on an expensive designer handbag. Mm. That is entitlement. That is selfishness. Mm. <laughs> that is childish. It's just ridiculous. So, so if you read an article and you think like, oh yeah, doom spending, that's right for me. Reflect on whether or not that actually is useful for you, because it's probably useful for you right now. You get to feel good about, you know, like the immediate dopamine rush of that purchase. But in the long run, that's very damaging for you because maybe you won't be able to buy a house when you're 30. But if you don't save at all, you're not developing appropriate financial habits. So you're going to just push the problems down the road at some point. And I think there's so many of these like immediate gratification get what you want now, you don't know how things are going to be in the future, messages, and people don't take the time to reflect on what's the impact for me, not now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Yeah, I love that. And that's a really important message. (laughs) Slow down long enough to really think about it. But that also, I'm I'm kind of going back to the, the beginning of our conversation when you were talking about Um, not allowing that critical thinking, right? Like we've created a society where common sense is no longer common, (laughs) right? And, And that critical thinking is, I mean, that's a lot of what I teach in leadership development is, you know, those critical thinking skills question, right? And what role are you playing? And um, I'm so glad you brought up like so many great nuggets from this conversation today. So Dr. Rebecca, if somebody wants to find you, now, where would they go to, to, you know, ask you more questions or to read your blog that you just talked about? 
Yeah, so you can find um, information about me on LinkedIn, obviously, but I have a website, vent2reinvent.com. Um, and there you can also sign up for a free consultation to find out if mindset coaching is something that's right for you. And um, so I would encourage people to go to the website that's vent2reinvent.com. Um, I also have links to my blog from the website, along with some other articles that I've written, um, some other podcasts I've done, like I did a debate about the harm of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So some of the links to that information is there. Um, and I just wanted to, to say, because I was giving an interview um, last week about the why I decided to call it Vent to Reinvent, because I, I am a firm believer that like the first part of self-reflection is just getting out whatever's yeah. on your mind. But <laughs> like, yes. you don't want to complain just to complain, right? So it's like, there's a purpose, like I'm venting to reinvent. So yeah. I'm getting it out, but I need to then recondition my mindset to view things in a way that's going to empower me to move forward. And I think that people um, oftentimes don't have the skill set to do that on their own. So that's why something like coaching, and you you know this, you know, because this is what you do as well. That's why coaching can be so valuable is to rely on the expertise and experience of somebody else to help give you the insights. Because to me, the greatest thing about successful coaching is you take it with you. You don't do it forever. You you develop these skills. You learn how to optimize on your own, and then you can take that with you and apply it in all kinds of different domains where you see that you need help. So true. So true. Well said. <laughs> well, this <laughs> has been wonderful. Such a fabulous conversation. Thank you for sharing your insight. I, I mean, so many great nuggets and you know, our audience, thank you for being here and would love to hear your feedback. Like, you know, share with us, send us a, a note or, or follow us on social media and let us know what you thought of this episode of the Will Talk podcast. Um, and if you have more questions for Dr. Rebecca, she's told you how you, she, you can find her. So we're grateful that you joined us today. And yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, this was terrific. Like really, uh, I love the, I love the uh, way that you break down the impact that DEI is actually having. Um, and I think that that's an important aspect that we have to look at and, and also important that we're not swinging that pendulum, no matter what it is, whether it's DEI, climate, whatever, like we can't go from one extreme to the other and right. ever think it's going to work. <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> find that middle ground somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, this was terrific. Dr. Rebecca, thank you so much again for being here and hope yes, to see you on the you. show again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd love to come back. Thanks so awesome. much. Thank Bye. you. And just quickly with our audience, if you're interested in your leadership and, and trying to understand how you're showing up in the world, please go on to the Will Empowered website. It's 1L, Will Empowered, and take our free leadership quiz. There's no harm. It gives you some insight. So a little bit of that self-reflection that Dr. Rebecca was talking about, but it'll help you have a sense of where you are and, and what are some areas is that you need to, you know, maybe spend some time on. So thanks again for joining us today and look forward to seeing everyone on our next Wilt podcast. Take care. Thank you for joining us for Will Talk, sponsored by Women in Leadership Empowered. To learn more about our programs, please visit www.willempowered.com. We look forward to seeing you in our community.